Classical Education, a podcast that covers the foundations as well as the philosophical and theoretical ideas of classical learning in a user-friendly and, may I even say, interesting way. I'm your host, Dr. Darlene Gomes from Leading to Wonder, and I'm so glad that you could join me today. Well, it is kind of exciting as today we actually get into the first law of John Milton Gregory's Seven Laws of Teaching. Before we even jump in, let me remind you that these laws were written for the average teacher and that just like we want our students to do the hard things, Following these laws are going to be doing the hard things. So please don't get discouraged. Please don't throw in the towel as we just look at this first law and say, I can't do it. Yes, you can. It may come in little steps, but hard work is always worth it. So let's take a look at the first law, which is the law of the teacher. Now, he starts off laying the foundation that basically the universe itself runs by laws. We have the law of gravity. If you drop something, it's going to fall on the floor. You don't have to worry and wonder about that. So he's saying that these laws are going to be the natural cause and effect for good educational standards. To be a good teacher, you need to follow the laws. Now, with this, it does require a consistency, but I don't want you to think it's like a checklist. We've already mentioned this where it's not like, okay, I've got all these done and now I can move to the next law. Now I can move to the next law. Basically, your educational existence is going to be forever pressing forward to improve. So with that in mind, the law of the teacher is basically stating that a teacher must know that which he or she would teach. While that does seem painfully obvious, I think what we need to do is look at it from the reverse angle as um, John Milton Gregory presents it. When he says the teacher must know that which he or she would teach, what he says to look at it is looking at it from what the teacher knows he must teach. What the teacher truly knows inside, what we know, comes out in a lively, passionate expression. What we don't really know cannot come out in that same passion. You can't have a full conversation about football if you only watch two games a year. So that's what that he's saying here is you have to truly know 
before it can come out as good teaching. Now, he refers to the fact with know is the obviously the knowledge or the information that the teacher has to work with. But I love the fact that he shows that there are about four different levels of knowing of that knowledge. There's the basic level of knowledge where you can recognize a truth. Probably if it's pointed out to you, you would know that it was truth. The second level is that you're able to think about it yourself or you're able to describe it. The third layer is you can explain it, you can prove it, you can illustrate it. And the highest level is that you have such a deep understanding that as John Milton Gregory says, the importance, grandeur, or beauty of it impresses and inspires you. I was trying to think of a way that I could envision this for you, and the best I could think of was with theater. Now, I have my doctoral degree in education, but my master's degree is in dramatic productions. So when it comes to that first level, some of you may be on that first level where you've been to a play before, you know what a theater looks like, you know what an actor is, but that's basically your level. Others of you may be more on the second level where you would be able to maybe recall a couple plays you've seen or you can describe what happens during a play and how things are on the stage and move around and you can have a light conversation about it level two there are some of you out there who may like be able to talk in detail about the plays that you've seen and how they compare with each other and different staging that you've seen and different sets that you've seen. And you can talk about that at a little bit deeper level, but you're on level three. Now, I kind of think I would be more on level four strictly because I find theater so incredibly fascinating. I could talk to you for hours about the comparison between Greek and Roman theater and their similarities and differences in how did modern musicals compare to them and what about the newer type? How do those compare? Are they better? Are they worse? Which I can definitely tell you, not as good as they used to be. But I have opinions and, and I can describe things and I can draw things and I can rule things and it inspires me to talk about it. That's a level four. Now, if absolutely everybody lived at the level four of every subject matter, we would never survive in this world. There needs to be level ones and twos, and then there needs to be level fours to balance it all out. In a classroom, you need to aim for that four, at least 
by comparison of your students. So I hope that helps you understand where he's going with this knowledge that you are working with as a teacher. Now, he does make one of those very bone-crushing statements in his discussion of this, and he says, imperfect knowing must make imperfect teaching. Ouch. That means when we don't truly know on a deeper level what we're teaching, we will never be able to teach it well. And if we are just barely scraping the surface and both our passion and our interest, we will never be able to light that spark in our students. And he gives a great illustration with this. He says, many a teacher can do little more than to study up the lesson of the day and may use that skillfully to set his pupils to work. But teaching must be uncertain and limping with such limitations of knowledge. Ouch. I have to admit There have been a lot of times where I'm like, okay, what are we talking about today? Okay, great. Let's teach it. Ah, that's not good teaching. That's barely, as he says, limping along. Now, with this, we have to, again, we can't get discouraged. We can say this is he's presenting us our our lofty goals that we are marching toward. But he does say that facts that are only slightly partially known cannot create full pictures in our own mind. And if we don't have those pictures in our own mind, we will not be able to get those pictures out and into the minds of our students. Now, we limit then our communication And that then limits their growth. If you think about it this way, if our goal is to light a spark, to lead them to wonder, we have to have the spark in ourselves. Now, this is for learning in general, but it's also for subject matters. We have to have a deep understanding and to some degree a deep enjoyment of what the facts are that have to be presented. Now, I did want to read this little section to you because I think it's very crucial that we we grasp what he's saying here. He must ever be a cold and lifeless teacher who only half knows the lesson he would teach. But he whose soul has caught fire from the truth which he carries glows with a contagious enthusiasm and unconsciously inspires his pupils with his own deep 
interests. Common truths become transformed and grand in the mind and heart of such a teacher. And then that becomes alive and vivid and lights the spark in the students. Now, unfortunately, you cannot do that, first of all, if you don't know the lesson and understand the lesson. And second of all, unfortunately, you cannot do that if you are tied to the book. If you're stuck with the book, your eyes aren't up. Your focus isn't up. You need to look at those little people in the eyes to see if they're understanding and following. And are they getting that spark? Now, he says, I love this statement, better as a teacher with limited knowledge, but with the power to stimulate his student than a very agassi without it. Now, it's A-G-A-S-S-I-Z, and it's capitalized, and I had no idea what an agassi was. But I do believe he was making the reference to an incredibly intelligent natural science scholar who is renowned for his great work in the natural sciences. So what he's saying is it's better to be a teacher who can light that spark than to have all the knowledge in the world and not be able to light a spark. A good teacher has the knowledge and can light the spark on it. And that's where you go, oh my goodness, how? How do we do this when we're teaching five, six subjects every single day? Well, again, this is the hard stuff. Get a better picture in their head. You need to know the lesson well enough till your language can become a familiar language to the students. There have been times where I have understood what I was teaching, but I was not able to communicate that to my students. That's partially because I did skip over that trying to get a familiar language. Now you also, while you're planning, try to get those, the order and the natural connections that can fit in from one part of the subject to another. Those are considered hooks that your students can hang the thoughts on. Um, give them some hooks that they know, something that they can link to. Now, You've got to make it interesting for them and applicable to them, but you don't have to do that alone. Please avail yourself to all of the resources that you possibly can. I really don't quite understand how this would have been anything besides deep scholarly works in John Milton Gregory's time, but I do know for us that it could lead you to the black hole of searching online. Be careful you don't get sucked in too far. 
maybe have just a couple of resources that you go to, especially like when you're looking for historical things or scientific things. Um, keep keep stock of those so you don't have to waste a lot of time. But be sure that you do have those facts mastered, but that you're taking the time every time you teach them to just brush them off and make sure they're still there and still active in your head. Now, these next two things are using the dreaded T word for teachers, time. You have to have time to study your lessons. You have to take the time to study deeper than the surface. You have to have and take the time. Now, that is where a balance point comes in. You cannot take all of the time to do all of the lessons every single day. You have to be balanced. The how of that, we'll address it another time, but realize, it is going to be hard work, but be balanced with it. Now, I do want to tell you, avail yourself of other teachers. Talk to each other. Encourage each other. Maybe a partner teacher has taught something or the previous year's teacher. Go to them and say, ah, they're not getting this. What can I do to help them get it a little better? You're going to have to make that effort. Now, with each law, John Milton Gregory also does some very harsh toe stomping. Um, he talks about what happens when you violate or the mistakes that can be made with this law. One of those is that a teacher can actually be ignorant of his pupils and assume that they don't know anything and so what he gives them is good enough. Now what you're doing there is you are selling them short. Now it's true, they may not actually know anything about it, but you've got to send them higher and farther than they would normally go not testing them on it, but lighting that joy of learning in their hearts. Another violation or mistake is assuming that it's the student's job to learn. Yes, it is, but it's your job to teach them. Other things like just looking through everything quickly or trying to make the lesson just fit because, well, this is what I have to teach and we've got, oh, let me check my watch. 10 minutes. Let's go. That's not lighting sparks anywhere. While this can all feel extremely overwhelming, I want to leave you with two little elements from the very end of his chapter. The first one is almost him saying, in his very tight, buttoned up sort of way, okay, take a breath. 
he said, let this first great fundamental law of teaching be thoroughly obeyed. Or, even as fully as the circumstances of our teachers will permit. We know that we can't do it all. We understand that, or we should. So let this be done as fully as your circumstances will allow. And the results are found in the last sentence that he gives us in this chapter. The schoolrooms, now so often dark and dull, would glow as with a living light, and teachers and pupils, instead of dragging to their weary task, would hasten to their meeting as to a joyous feast. What kind of classroom would you like? One where you and the students drag yourself to your weary task? Or one where all of you are approaching a joyous feast of knowledge? That's law one, the law of the teacher. The teacher must know what he would teach. And remember, a teacher would teach that which he knows. I hope you are not discouraged. I hope you realize that this is a step-by-step, ever-aiming, further process. And I hope that you will continue to lead yourself and your class to wonder. So, whether you are all in with classical ed, or you're just kind of curious, or even you just want to be a better teacher, I hope you'll stick around and join us for this next podcast. To get the latest episode, as well as a fun little teacher's newsletter, complete with a couple of classroom freebies, please sign up for the Leading to Wonder newsletter. Or you can subscribe to the podcast directly on Apple Podcast or Spotify or wherever you listen. To learn more about me and Leading to Wonder, you can visit my website at leadingtowonder.com. No spaces. And finally, to reach out to me directly with questions or comments or even for information regarding in-house or virtual teacher training workshops, feel free to email me at darlene at leadingtowonder.com. Have an amazing week. And remember, as E.B. White said, always be on the lookout for the presence of